Celtics versus the Sixers. And uh, obviously our listeners and viewers don't know this, but uh, Connor Hausman over here is a diehard Boston fan, whereas myself, not so much. So uh, we often clash when it comes to the Boston Celtics, but we're going to try to keep this conversation quite intellectual because of our listeners and fellow viewers and only talk about the stats. Psych, I'm lying. We're going to get our emotions into this 100%. I love how passionate your boy Connor is when it comes to the Celtics. That's me when it comes to my Lakers, when it comes to my Raptors. So honestly, totally understand where you're coming from. You just unfortunately have to deal with a Boston Celtics hater, which is myself. And I'm pretty sure you've had your own fun dealing with that as well, haven't you? Yeah, no, I mean... It's fun to talk basketball with people in general, but I would say if you're not from Boston, I would be a little shocked to hear if you were a Celtics fan. So, yeah, you're and seeds, and, and, and it's good to and it's good to keep my own uh, opinions in check. <laughs> hear what other people from other fans from around the league think, and yeah, again, it's just fun to talk basketball with you know, obviously with you, Quad, and other friends, and you know. The Celtics so far have been a very interesting team in the playoffs. You know, one you think will make it to the finals, but also really loves to play down to their competition. Yeah, I swear, like, one game, you guys, like, oh, they're a finals look. And then the next game, you're like, am I going to get out of the first round? Like, what's going on there? Mm -hmm. I mean, they basically, you know, game three let the Hawks bench pop off, and then game five just... Yeah, threw away a 13-point lead, so you never really know what you're going to get. And then, I mean, yesterday, or not yesterday, two days ago, you know, game one at TD Garden, you thought the Celtics were going to win it. They were up five with just a few minutes left, but lo and behold, James Harden, you know, goes back to being his vintage self, puts up 45 points, including, yeah, with, I think it was like with, 15 or 17 seconds left put that crazy three up over Al Horford Horford, that was a crazy shot man so cold-blooded he just like because he wasn't you you could tell Horford was sagging off of him and he still he was like he because he's been like blowing by people all game for the first time in a long time and then Horford Mm -hmm. assumed that he would try to do that given the mismatch but man stepped back and drained that in his face no and just like Al Horford's a really good defender, but leaving him, him, him on an island, leaving him on an island with uh, James Harden when James Harden is just going crazy okay. isn't the greatest idea. When Horford's thirty-eight years old, um, thirty-six. You know, he should he should have been. Excuse me, he is thirty-six. I shouldn't know that. Shame on me as LeBron, a Celtics LeBron, fan. Um, yeah, isn't it crazy? It's the LeBron end of his era, man. Like. We got LeBron, who was in the league in 2024. He got drafted in 2004. And it was like, I think he actually got drafted in 2003. Mm-hmm. Straight out of high school. Yeah. He's, he graduated yeah, high school in 2003. He broke the record. Yeah. And he's been an icon Look, ever since. Like, people need to appreciate him, man. Honestly, I think the hate goes way too far sometimes. Like, you got people just, like, talking smack on his name and 
Like they're gonna start missing him once he's gone instead of appreciating the last like what one or two years we have of LeBron. But like yeah, yeah back I mean to how Al Horford at thirty six got left to an island with James Harden, man. And like I think Doc Rivers. Point, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. About to say at that point the Celtics should have been like double teaming him and like they should have sent Horford over to like PJ Tucker, you know, someone who wasn't, you know, going to make that three or. Yeah, even if they had made like a game tie or no, it wouldn't have been game tying, would have been a one point lead. Yeah. You know, still would have made the calculus a little bit easier on the Celtics, but yeah, that just wasn't wasn't a good finish for them. And it's almost interesting. I have a hot take of my own. Uh, even though Embiid obviously well deserving of the MVP. Um, you know, just all around had a terrific season. I actually feel like the 76ers match up better against the Celtics when he's not on the floor because the Celtics in game one really struggled to keep up with those constant switches, you know, and the faster pace and the small ball that the 76ers were playing with. Um, You know, and then you had today's game where the 76ers played at a much slower pace, you know, and Bede looked solid coming back from injury, which, you know, it was really unfortunate he got hurt in the first place um but you know and wasn't putting up you know 52 points like he did earlier in the season in the regular season you know for that final game against the celtics um you know and philly just played with an overall slower pace and i think the celtics defense you know have more opportunities to get set figure out what their switches were going to be and i just feel like the 76ers couldn't keep up today yeah. Yeah. Also, I will say the 76ers, you know, both teams shot really well that first game. No, pretty... game one was insane, man. You got vintage Harden, like you said yourself, going off for 45 on a really efficient scoring, too. And then mm-hmm. that was what I wanted to allude to earlier. That's why I was talking about the offensive foul with Butler and I said Harden because he had that call in Philly's game where he went up and then someone swiped the ball from him and it was considered an offensive foul on James Harden. And like, he just mm-hmm. started acting up uh, to the refs and everything. But I believe it was Horford who swiped him and he went in and Horford just got a ball. So it should have just been a no call, but then they called it an offensive foul on Harden, which is the reason I started telling you at that time that, uh, the refs are wearing like a Boston Celtics jersey and you guys bought them out and stuff like that was because you have really questionable calls towards like late game situations where it's basically putting the favor for one team and you you we don't have to get into this now but you know that whole situation mm-hmm. with the ref I forget his name but when he started like getting a question he ended up at court for fixing games so like it you don't want to put it that far on like a whole totally different island when it comes to that but unfortunately i do think the refs have some influence particularly don't even put teams into it like when a team is on game six and they want like the ticket sales for game seven know how much money they're gonna make if they have one more game so they try to like skew the calls late game so one of the teams that are down ends up winning, so they end up posting a game seven just to generate more revenue, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And that and like 
it's mostly the inconsistent calling. I'm not going to like go so far as to say whether, you know, they want a game seven or yeah, any else of that, but just like generally what annoys fans, it's exactly that. It's when like the ref lets you play through some contact, but others, you know, it's two free throws for the other team or it's a soft tech, you know, it can be annoying or even, even sort of, no calls late in the game where it was called earlier in the game. Like, obviously, you know, I, I, I cheer and defend my Celtics at every turn, but that uh Lakers game earlier in the season or the game against Lakers earlier in the season where Tatum pretty obviously fouled LeBron. And, you know, that was just an absurd no call. Like, <laughs> I mean, I get, again, bro, I promise you like 90% of Celtics fans were like, how was that not a foul? yeah like that was that was pretty ridiculous but you got lebron like crying on the ground too (laughs) that that was an insane patrick beverly pulling out the camera for the funniest tech of the the regular season possibly yeah i was dying when he did that that was so funny (laughs) and then you also got like um what was i gonna say oh the the refs releasing like a statement on twitter saying like oh we lost sleepless nights like are you guys serious you're literally trolling the internet and we can see it right past y'all like you're not being smooth yeah because i know the nba refs like they always release a statement like the day after the game like oh yeah we missed these like six fouls that we either didn't call as fouls or we did call as fouls when they really weren't yeah Um, i think they should at least get fined like players do like, they have no repercussions when they mess up, whereas everybody else does. Doesn't that sound fair to you? Like, come on. No, definitely not. But that's definitely it's definitely another discussion we should have at some point. Sure. Um, just want to make sure. But yeah, continue no. Continue focusing um, on this series. Um, the Celtics. Yeah, no, I mean, that game. Honestly, you guys sold game one. Just uh, yeah, you guys definitely sold it. We uh, Philly went on a twelve four run at the end, and then Harden got his forty five. You got Tucker literally going for zero shot attempts the entire game, thirty seven minutes, zero field goal attempts, zero free throws. And another uh, another stat that continues to haunt the Celtics: sixteen turnovers compared to Philly six. That, like, plus or minus 16 turnovers continues to be Boston's magic number. It was the same uh, thing last season, too. Yeah. Like, um, it was crazy. Like, it, they, they just kept turning the ball over late. Obviously, you had that Brogdon absurd turnover at Tyrese Maxey that turned into a dunk the other way. Maybe could have been a 24 second violation on the Celtics, but yeah, it was super close. Again, the whole refs discussion. A whole nother thing to be had, but yeah, Maxi clearly sold like, that game. He wasn't sure whether to dunk it or like pass it out for the three. He was just like looking back. He was like, "What do we do? Like, is it a shot clock? Should I score? Should I like? Should we get a three? But thank God, now nah, nah, Malcolm Brogdon just gifted you the ball, bro. Um, yeah. and the thing is, in that game, Tatum actually good game, yeah. played really well had 39 points 11 boards yeah, yeah you know shot 64 percent from the field 16 for 25 mm-hmm. and then game two the celtics win by 34 he scores seven points and picks up his fourth foul with like seven minutes left in the third quarter 
And it's, it's it's so crazy how how different the Celtics can play one night from another. Yeah. Um, I think tonight was maybe slightly more representative of how the series will go. Although I feel like Harden will do something in between forty five points and shooting two for fourteen from the field. <laughs> Just I maybe. Feel like there's got to be a happy medium. Yeah. No, I think you guys are gonna split this series on the road. And then you guys are going to come back all tied up in Boston for game five. And then, honestly, I think you guys are going to win game five. And then I think mm-hmm. Philly's going to win game six. And then, honestly, you guys might take game six. Like, I foreshadowed you guys on my last episode to win in six. But honestly, after seeing Joel Embiid's reaction to winning MVP, after seeing James Harden go off for 45, I don't think Philly's going to fold that easy. Just like I said, I think you guys are going to take one in Philly. Then you're going to come back, win at home. Philly's going to go back, win at home. And then I think you guys are going to win in game seven. I tend to agree. I feel like I feel like the other thing, too, was maybe Philly wasn't quite expecting to win game one. Yeah. Like, the Celtics really did sell that. So, like, that definitely helped their chances of winning the series, for sure. Because, yeah, every, every game counts. I mean... For sure. And even... I mean, even last year, the Celtics threw away winnable games. They threw away games, what was it, games one and five against Milwaukee, and then games, what was it, three and six against the Heat. Like, yeah. So they sometimes do stuff like that, and yeah. it just makes Everything it harder on themselves. Yeah. Because every team there. does do it, but especially the Celtics were like, you know, MB was back for game two, and like, if they had just closed out the series against Atlanta sooner, maybe they would have, you know, been able rest. to get off to a quicker start. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no, you know, they they kind of make it harder than they need to on themselves. And of course, they don't know who they're gonna face. You know, of course, this assumes they make it out of the East, which they do have tougher than competition than you would think. Mm-hmm. You know, on the surface, but. You know, they don't know who they're going to face in the finals. And frankly, Nobody. you know, especially if it's a Warriors, Celtics-Warriors matchup again. Rematch? Oh, yeah. That would be, that would be crazy. And yeah. it's Warriors not, <laughs> it's not completely unfeasible either. That's kind of the crazy and scary thing. It's like, yeah. it's absolutely possible. I mean, especially if the Warriors win this series. Yeah, no, this this year's playoffs is a toss-up. Honestly, it's anybody's game. Especially out West. Like, like the East is a little weird now that Milwaukee's gone. Like, as we alluded to earlier in the episode, you know, we were all expecting Milwaukee to at least make a conference finals run. Yeah, even, like, analysts with decorated backgrounds had them winning the whole thing, too. Like, I know Zach Lowe had the Bucks winning the whole thing, and then he came out on his podcast, and he was like, well, um, I don't think my word's worth as much as it once was. Uh, I predicted the books winning the whole thing, and they're out. So uh, they got kicked out of the first round. And honestly, it surprised him just as much as it spread everyone else. So you never know. I think you guys statistically are geared up to have the best run in the playoffs going into the finals because you guys have the deepest team. You guys got a decorated rookie of the year coming out of your bench. Like, I still can't get over the fact that you guys are starting White over Brogdon. I think that's an insult to Brogdon. He's a way better player than a bench player. I think White is the perfect bench player. 
And you can't even come at me with a defense argument because White is not that good of a defender compared to Malcolm Brogdon. Whereas if you compare him to like, I don't know, Steph Curry, who's a lot improved since his like older times in the league, then maybe Derek White looks like a good defender. And that's saying something because Curry's not half bad as he once was. So like when you compare him to Malcolm Brogdon, honestly, I think Brogdon's offensive prowess should edge out um, White's defense especially that you guys already have a lot of offensive firepower coming off the bench. You guys had, what, like 33 bench points today compared to Philly's, like, five. So, honestly, I think your bench is, like, already well-equipped enough to take it to that next level that Brockton should be starting. But that's besides the point of me saying that I think you guys have the best roster equipped to win the whole thing. You can arguably have one of the best centers in the league when Time Lord plays. You guys have the best power forward slash center in, like, uh, um, what's his name Horford he can shoot threes like an mf you know and then no one needs to talk about the two j's and then you guys have the defensive player of the year at your point guard position so honestly if you guys don't win it's your series to lose and your finals to lose yeah and like there's good depth too like even even the guys playing late in the game you know Peyton Pritchard you know, albeit against the Rockets in a meaningless game, had a 30-point triple-double, like... Oh, wow, tripped up. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, no, he did. He he went insane in that game, but, like, you know, Peyton Pritchard was a guy who was maybe even on the trade block discussions earlier this season and, you know, put, could put guys like him in late in the games. You have Sam Hauser. I really like Sam Hauser. You know, being your three and D type of guy, which he's actually fulfilled the role pretty decently, I would say. You know, especially given the depth the Celtics have, he, he might, you might not want him to be like Brogdon, like your first guy off the bench, but you know, for a deeper rotation, definitely. You know, even uh, Blake Griffin hasn't played a single second yet this series. I mean, not not that I'm saying Blake Griffin is going to like completely changed the, the trajectory of this series but you Wait, know it, it's, fun, it's fun to see <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to see him or marcus smart you know being the first to the floor you know those like hustle type of guys it sort of helps make the celtics identity a little bit yeah um you know well, you guys are already a gritty team you got people like that coming across the bench Honestly, I think you guys have what it takes and it's your finals to lose, like I told you. I think every team has a mismatch when it comes to you guys. So, like, you guys, honestly, if you put your head in the right place mindset-wise and your coach has proven himself time and time again, I think you guys are the best equipped to win the finals. But if I were to put my money on it, I'd probably put it on phoenix or the warriors because i think whoever's going to come out of the west is going to have had a harder route to get there rather they're gonna probably not fold as easily because even though the heat's probably standing in whoever's way to come out of the east honestly i think the entire routes for the western conference playoffs so far like we got the second and third seed out of the first round like Mm -hmm. And those were both really competitive series. Like, if Memphis had their two big men in Brandon Clark and Steven Adams, I think the Lakers would have probably lost that series, you know? 
So like they had yeah, a much true. tougher route to end up to where they were. And you got defending champs in the Lakers. You got defending champs in the Warriors. So it's really Denver who's might not be as well equipped to win once they get to the finals against like a Boston, for example. But if you got like Phoenix or the Lakers or the Warriors coming out, I think even though you guys match up really well against them, they're just going to have had a harder route to get to that point that they're not going to fold as easily and then find a way to win, even though you guys have the advantage. They're going to have that fuel them to get to where they want to go, which is winning the championship. But that's just my opinion. No, that's definitely fair. And I mean, I definitely, obviously Celtics Lakers final would be, that would just be flat out crazy, especially as a, for the seven seeded Lakers, man. Like, can you imagine? A rewind two C versus seven C finals. Rewind to two thousand and eight, and each of which bring two different, very different sets of memories yeah. to me. Yeah, <laughs> as a young sure. Celtics fan, two. You guys got Rivers at that point. <laughs> yeah, his only championship. <laughs> which I won't get into this now, but it yeah. carries his legacy as a head coach sure. quite a bit. No, he leveraged the hell out of that championship to get every position. He's like, who are you talking to? You, you, you think, I won the championship in 2008, fool. Like, you know, he's just like, in a voice which is like, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to enact. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to reenact Doc, yeah. Doc Rivers' uh, voice either. But yeah, I mean, you know, the Celtics also have a pretty good you know, obviously, good co- good coaches, good front office. I'm su- I'm surprised not that I care about this award, but like the executive of the year voting, Brad Stevens was like fifth. Oh wow! I'm like how? No, yeah, I didn't know that. He should have definitely been hired. Do you know who won? I think they were leaning towards uh, actually Kings again. I don't know who their general no, manager is, but sure. but. No, but that Brad Stevens should be higher than fifth. He did like very, very clever moves that were very like low on everyone's radar, which is part of why they're so clever. I mean, even even the Malcolm Brogdon trade where he gave up like, you know, a couple sticks of gum and a bag of airport Lay's potato chips <laughs> to get Malcolm Brogdon. I, I like Daniel Tyson and Aaron Neesmith to be fair, but No. Neesmith is fine but... on the pace. <laughs> Like they, he but, almost I beat mean, you guys in that regular season game. He did. Aaron Neesmith also was a big part of the uh back in the 2020-21 season where the Celtics were like a 500 team and got you know their butts kicked by the Nets. All right, so uh let's get into the Lakers versus the Warriors, the most anticipated series of this entire playoff run. We got the LeBron versus Steph Curry narrative. They've basically been going at it for the entire second half of the 2010s. And now they're back at it again for another run at their money. And perhaps the final time they're they're actually going to be competing against one another in our lifetime, professionally speaking, at least. So a cool stat to bring up before we get into the game two and game three performances of both teams is that LeBron's shooting really bad from three. 
he went into game two shooting nine for 49 from three, which is basically 18% from behind the arc. And that's not your typical shooting performance from the King, don't you think? No, that's like quite the opposite, actually. Usually LeBron is the one coming up big with the big, big you know, scoring clutch buckets. You know, I, I think his age is showing a little bit, perhaps. You know, he's dealt with injuries the last few years. Um, but, you know, he's still playing at a pretty high level. That's the thing. Like, LeBron's shooting poorly, but he finds ways to get it done. And the Lakers, you know, started the season, like, as a 13th seed, I think, in the West. And then climbed all the way up to 7th. Upset the Grizzlies. Like, biggest upset of the, the season, most likely. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And the thing is like, they're, they're winning without LeBron shooting. Well, like 18% is just like, like you can't get much worse than that. You'd have to try, but so, so that, that, that kind of spells good news for the Lakers. Yeah. He went into the uh, game shooting two for two from three for game two versus the Warriors. So, uh, I don't know if you saw the footage of him basically coming to the arena at like 3 p.m., and then the game starts at like seven. So he was there like three, four hours before the game started just getting up shots, which was kind of weird because he actually only shot four threes the entire game. So like he shot 50%, which is fine. His percentage is slowly rising. But at the end of the day, like he's putting all that work in potentially for an extended playoff run, but he didn't take that many threes. I think he just wants to let the Warriors know that he deserves to be respected from outside the three-point line. So he's willing to put that work in to get better over time. Mm -hmm. And LeBron's a great teammate. You know, the the Lakers have accomplished so much in their four or five years. I think getting close to five years now with LeBron on the team. Yeah. I mean, got a ring, obviously. Tie up the Celtics with 17. Another crazy stat actually surrounding LeBron's efficiency on the court is that the Lakers net rating with him off the court is minus three, but with him on the court, it's a plus 26 net rating. So that tells you how much the King has an effect when he's actually on the court at 38 years old, which is really nuts when you think about it. Yeah, he makes the team better. He knows he knows the passes to make. Like the fact that he shot two from four or two for four from the three point line. Uh, game two like I think that kind of shows you he has like very high basketball IQ like I mean obviously as a king that's the case but yeah you know knew the three ball wasn't really working for him so he decided to try other things you know dish it to teammates who are more hot you know how about uh how about Rui Hachimura Rui Hachimura literally read my mind man has been an efficient machine bro Game two, he had 21 points, eight for 14 from the field, four for six from three, which translates to 57 from the field and 66% from three. When he got traded to the Lakers at the end of the season, his regular season shooting stats with the Lakers equated to like 29% from three. But when you look at his entire playoff performance as of now, Manz is shooting 57% from three, which is absolutely insane. He literally doubled his three-point percentage that's crazy the series has kind of been good in so far as you know it's two to one you know it's again like a generational matchup you know two generational stars going up against each other in different uniforms though yeah like it's not just of course it's great to see LeBron and Steph 
battle it out again but late especially against the lakers which for sure you know as i referenced last episode clay talked about for so long how much he wanted to play the lakers in the yeah. playoffs so like clay's really good shooting game his breakout game he finally started making his threes he was eight for 11 at 72 percent and then curry kind of transformed himself into a quintessential point guard instead of being like a scoring guard he had 12 assists with 20 points and then ad man how are you a big that got 32 minutes of playing time only took 11 shots and you got 11 points out of that i think that's primary one of the re- one of the primary reasons why they ended up selling that game especially in the second half yeah that's you need ad playing you know 30 points 10 to 15 rebounds like you need way more out of him exactly you know 11 points just won't cut it for the lakers particularly if his shots aren't falling exactly yeah ad's got he's got to stay healthy and he's got to stay playing tough 100 percent. which, which I, I think he did much better in game three of course I love the segue man um honestly game three the Lakers came out with a huge sense of urgency they were at home they did not want to like succumb to the Warriors pressure and now the Warriors Mm -hmm. have all the pressure going into the game four because uh from the Lakers perspective they're up 2-1 and they're at home so they're coming out with nothing to lose really However, when the Warriors were interviewed about it, Steve Kerr defined a must-win situation where the other team was up by three, whereas I kind of disagree with his philosophy when it comes to this particular game because you really don't want to be down 3-1 going back home because then you're essentially forced to have a really good game or then you're pretty much out of the playoffs as the defending champions having only won one game at home. So I believe that going into the second game, I feel like the Warriors game four approach should have it be like, this is a very must win game because if we don't end up winning, then we pretty much have our backs against the wall and we have to play pedal to the metal with every single game that has to come up after then. Whereas if they win game four on the road, then they have a lot more cushion and going back home, they have even more of a incentive to win. So they're up three, two going back to the Lakers and then having one home court back again. What do you think? I tend to agree. The other thing too is like, sure, it's possible that one of the teams blows a three to one lead in this case, the Lakers, but you know, you, you have LeBron on your team. He's come back from three to one before against Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. It's very doable for him. Um, the other thing too, is I feel like it's not impossible, but very unlikely a team sells three games in a row. Yeah. You know, again, especially with the LeBron factor and if, you get good production out of AD, you know, Rui stays hot. Yeah. You know, maybe even get some Austin Reeves mixed in. Like the yeah. Lakers have, they have great potential. Obviously the Warriors though, they're not going to go down without a fight. They, you know, are the defending champions, you know, Curry and Clay have made their careers out of winning. Yeah. You know, they're, they're like- not going to go quietly. When it comes Steve to Kersey the coach. Lakers versus Warriors specifically, I feel like they take the term the game like basketball is a game of runs to a whole new level because essentially it's like the Lakers go on a very extended run and then the Warriors come back with a run of their own. And then during those runs, one team just has to go cold when it comes to this series specifically. Like you have in the first quarter in game three, the Lakers led by seven. 
And then the Warriors call a timeout. Then they even it up right then. And then you have LeBron James, which actually didn't end up taking a shot till halfway through the second quarter, but still ended up with 20 plus points. And then we have the Lakers closing out the, the first half with an extended 30 to 8 run, which pretty much just put the game out of scope for the rest of the time when it came to the Warriors to try to mm-hmm. choose for that comeback. However, I also believe that the Lakers are really dependent on like their role players when it comes to D'Lo, Rui, and Reeves, because mm-hmm. when only one of those has a good game, then the Lakers are more prone to winning the entire game because you know what you're going to get out of LeBron and AD, even though they're inconsistent, they're still going to be there and they're going to have their gravity essentially just dominating the paint when it comes to the Warriors. However, when you have that, even though it may be inconsistent, on top of the fact that either Reeves, Rui, or particularly D'Lo has a good series or a good game, then it's pretty much a wrap for the Warriors. And I believe I had myself and you having the Warriors win, but we're not having that look too good right now going into game four. But I'm pretty much going to stick with my prediction when it comes to the defending champs. I think they have something up their sleeve. Um, I think they're kind of living and dying by the three, like we mentioned last episode. But honestly, Mm -hmm. I think they're going to make the necessary adjustments to have that be the case while maintaining their good paint presence when it comes to Curry just like slithering and weaving through traffic, getting his circus layups to go in. I agree. You know, Steve Kerr, I trust Steve Kerr to make those adjustments. I trust the Warriors, I think, you know, with their kind of champion prowess and background to get done against the Lakers. You know, I also... I mean, the Warriors role players have also been really hot and cold, but the thing with, you know, Reeves or Rui or even Adilo is they they can help you win, but also if all of them are off, like, I, I trust the Warriors' depth maybe slightly more than the Lakers. Yeah. You know, because then you're looking at maybe like a Dennis Schroeder who, you know, he's made some good shots in his time, but not really the guy where you're like, I want him out there. To win it for us yeah i agree so i i think i think i agree with you the the lakers really need as much as they can get out of those three guys and yeah i think it's going to be close i think we said warriors and seven both of us um i I do think it will be a seven game series yeah all told absolutely um honestly even if the lakers make a three to one lead i could see it the warriors stealing too so yeah yeah me too uh, any predictions real quick going into game four, which is set to tip off in about 45 minutes? Well, I think just for all NBA fans, let's not have this game be a blowout, please. Like, let's please. have it. Because <laughs> the last two games have just been like, you know, Horrible they're fun to talk out. about, but trading, yeah, trading blowouts isn't fun. Um, you, you know, you want to watch good basketball. You really want to see like the competitive drive of, you know, the stars come out. You know, your LeBron, Curry, Clay, you just want to see them like play like it's, you know, like they're playing for a championship. Of course they are, but sorry, you make it to the Western Conference finals and you're that much closer, you know, and I think either Denver or Phoenix are beatable teams. Yeah, that actually is a good segue going into the Suns versus uh, Nuggets series. Honestly, there's not a lot to talk about here because we saw the Nuggets just kind of kill the Suns in the first two games. 
And then we saw Booker mm -hmm. and KD come back with insane historic performances to combat the fact that they were down 2-0. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but essentially looking back at Booker's playoff performance over the past two games, he is shooting a blistering 79% from the field. And that's on high volume scoring too. We're not talking about a role player averaging 10 points a game. We're talking about somebody averaging 37 points a game. The top scorer in the entire playoffs so far, his last two games were at 79% from the field and his entire playoff performance, which is across nine games. The man is shooting 61% from the field. He is shooting 51% from three, averaging 37 Ooh. points a game. How the hell... Are you not missing? He's being double teamed. He's being guarded by two people. Did you see the last game in game four? He literally went up and shot a three in two people's faces. And that hit nothing but net. Man's on one. He's on a mission. He will not succumb to the um to the Denver Nuggets pressure to get beaten on his own home floor. On top of the fact that Jokic had a historic performance of his own. He had a franchise-leading 53 points. The, the, the Phoenix Suns said, no, I don't care. You have your historic night. You break your franchise record for the amount, most amount of points done in a playoff series. We're going to come back, back at you with 36 points apiece and still win. And honestly, this series has not has definitely lived up to its expectations it has not disappointed and honestly i just can't shut up talking about it what do you think i agree i mean yet even yesterday i was about to say booker was like 77 percent from the field and 75 percent from three like you just can't miss right now it's it's ridiculous um you know it's kind of the thing about booker like jimmy butler like when, when he gets locked in and it's like ooh, a championship let's go get it yeah, both guys have made it to the finals, you know, in their career, you know, and actually back-to-back -back years, you know, both fell short, but they both have that competitive drive of like, that was fun going to the finals. Let's do that again, please. And like this time get a dub for the, with the team. Yeah, I think you know, obviously Booker's, like blistering performance is a combination of him having KD be there. So it kind of opens up a lot more space for him to operate because he's kind of used to being that go to bucket getter when it comes to his team, at least ever since he was drafted. He's been their go to guy when it comes to scoring. But now having another historic offensive player share the court with you. I think that he's been operating with space that he hasn't seen before. So he's just that much more comfortable stepping up to the plate when it matters the most. We talk about how there's a lot of different players that disappear when it comes to the playoffs, like Ben Simmons, for example. But then you have play players that rise up to the plate. And I think even if we both have Phoenix coming out of this series, but I think even if Phoenix loses, Devin Booker has done enough over a long enough sample size over these playoffs that he, going into next season, will have people talking about if he's a top five player because of his playoff run this time round, even if they get mm -hmm. uh, knocked out in the second round, which is a very rare case when it comes to people getting knocked out before the, the con conference finals. But how he's played, especially across the last two games, across the entire playoffs, shooting over 50% from three, over 60% from the field, averaging 37 points, 
I think he put a lot for people to talk about going into the next season. Yeah, I feel like the other thing for Booker too, you know, you have to remember how the Suns lost last year, you know, also in the Western Conference semifinals uh, to Dallas Mavericks at game seven. Yeah, it was a horrific stench for the Suns, you know, it was a home loss too. Like they had home court advantage as the one seed. They won. No, they were the two seed, excuse me. Um, that That's tough, you know, and I feel like Booker is out on a bit of a revenge tour. You know, he wants he wants to prove that 2021 you know that championship run wasn't a fluke and yep you know he really is him you know and as you said top five player might even contend for mvp you know in the 2024 season so it'll be exciting and of course if they win you know he'll be the biggest reason why although kd you know 58 percent from the field and 50 percent from three last night looked much better you know even though he's old and past his peak he still gets his buckets yeah we have booker having such a historical performance that we're kind of overshadowing and not even talking about Jokic, which over the last two games his game three performance the first player in nba history or i think the first center in nba history or no actually it's the first player the one like i don't think any any other nba player has had a 25 15 and 15 performance and Jokic did that and then on top of that, he was like, oh, you, you guys don't like me passing a lot. I'm still going to get over 10 assists and then have a 53 burger to go along with that. Like, Booker is playing so well that he's overshadowing a two-time MVP, dropping a 53-point barrage when it comes to him not wanting his Denver Nuggets to sit out this uh, playoff run. Jokic, like Booker, you know, they haven't made it back. They haven't made it to the NBA Finals, but Jokic wants it. I mean... The uh the Western Conference Finals was a fun time for them, you know, back back down the bubble, especially because they came back from two three to one deficits. You know, first team to do that in an NBA playoffs, which is just crazy. I I, I think he's of a similar mindset to Booker. Maybe wanted that MVP, you know, the three peat didn't get it. So I think Jokic is also playing with playing with an axe to grind, you know, playing with a purpose. Yeah, with a chip on his shoulder, for sure. Even though all these players had such good performances in Game 4, I think Game 4 will forever be known as the Landry Shamit game because they were pretty much exchanging buckets until Mance erupted for 12 straight points off threes in the fourth, and he just basically put that game to rest. His shot making when he was open still, why? Because of the people we just mentioned. Um, he just rose up to the plate. He was there. He made his shots count and pretty much put his name as a label on that game for forever going forward. And I feel like Shamit's the kind of guy like he I, he doesn't get going a ridiculous amount, but, you know, he, back during that 2021 championship run or run to the NBA finals, you know, Shamit kind of made those big buckets to help put some of those close games away. Yeah, I didn't. I don't feel like we saw quite as much of him last year in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, again, especially the conference semifinals where Phoenix struggled. Uh, so it's good to see him get some good action. And I, I could easily see him play an important role in the Suns, maybe returning to the finals. Maybe. You know, first, they got to make it to the conference finals. Yeah. And take care of the one-seeded Nuggets. So it'll also be a really close series. I could even see this one going to seven. It'll seven. definitely be a six- 
I think so. I think yeah. both teams want it too bad and have a lot to play for, a lot to prove. Indeed. Honestly, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the Matt Ishba and Jokic scruffle they had because yeah. I don't really think it, it's like deserved talking about. It doesn't really deserve like any attention being put to it. I think Jokic was just trying to get the ball. Matt Ishba like just kind of transformed himself in his mind to the days where he was a Michigan State basketball player. He started like taking away the ball from him, you know, and then he was the person that pretty much instigated it. But then the league actually ended up finding Jokic 25K because he's mm -hmm. the Suns owner, whereas Jokic thought he was a fan. But unfortunately, when you're worth $7 billion, things tend to go your way, even if you're the one instigating the situation and not wanting to give the basketball back to the player who's trying to get it. So even though people might say that Jokic was playing a Pat Beverly, whereas the ball was going out of bounds and it would have still not ended up being his ball and he would have had to like give it back to the ref for the um, for the Suns to inbound the ball, I still think Matt Ishba wasn't in his right, he wasn't in the right place to essentially just try to like play catch with Jokic and just like try to hide the ball away from him, which ended up uh, resulting in Jokic just kind of like shoving him lightly, whereas Matt Ishba kind of portrayed it to be as like the world's biggest flop, hashtag Marcus Smart vibes. I mean, like, I don't really know. What do you think? It, kind of the same thing. I think it may have actually been Matt Ishba or maybe his father on Twitter. Like they even tweeted out saying that Jokic shouldn't be fined or suspended. Of course, the yeah. NBA didn't listen and it's not to say he didn't exaggerate it at the time, which he definitely did. Um, it's it's just so stupid. Like, if you're a fan, you know, even if you're the Suns owner and you're sitting courtside, like, you got to be respectful to the players. You know, you're allowed to have fun. You know, you're allowed to cheer. I mean, us Celtics fans gave very colorful words to Kyrie when he visited in a Nets uniform. Um but at the end of the day, you got to be respectful to the players. And, you know, if you jeer them, especially like attack them personally and they tell security to throw you out, like I'm not going to feel bad. Exactly. Like, just enjoy the game. I it's agree. not worth it otherwise. 100%. It distracts from otherwise great basketball that's going on. Exactly. Uh, we can touch on the Heat versus Knicks really quickly. I think this is the most uninteresting series going on right now, which says a lot because it is a really interesting series in a vacuum. However, when you compare it to the context of the other conference semifinals that are going on right now, it doesn't seem that interesting. So honestly, no. you got um, your boy Jalen Brunson just going crazy. I'm really happy he got an opportunity away from playing in Lucas Shadow to showcase his skills, his ability, his basketball prowess. And he's honestly leading the Knicks. If it wasn't for him, Julius Randle would have had them lose to the Cavs in the first round, in my opinion. But honestly, the story of this series is, as previously mentioned, Jimmy Butler. Man's going nuclear. He is second in playoff mm -hmm. scoring right now, right after Devin Booker. And he's putting the entire Heat roster on his back. I believe he's the only person that's averaging over 20 points a game on the entire Heat's roster in the playoffs. We got people like Bam Adebayo averaging 16.9, 17 points a game right after him. And then you got people like Gary Vincent and Kyle Lowry averaging around the 13 point per game mark. But you don't have anybody else on that entire roster averaging over 20. So you have 
the best defender on the team being the best go-to guy in late game situations and just closing out the Knicks. They just won another one today. And honestly, I think they're on their way to knocking out the New York Knicks sooner than later, right? Yes, although the Knicks, or excuse me, the Heat haven't won quite yet. It's currently 99 to 91 with about five minutes left. I would gander, guess that the Heat are going to be up three to one at the end of the day. Um, I know, well, especially Barrett. Barrett's yeah. not been on the map as of late. And then Julius Randle, I mean, he had a couple of really bad plays earlier in the game. Yeah, absolutely broke this three into oblivion. And then he was grabbing an offensive board, went up for an easy layup, but traveled, moved his pivot foot instead of staying still. It was really, really silly, but... That that is kind of an X factor for the Knicks, I guess. Like, yeah, you know, Randall, you could say doesn't that. even need to be great. He just needs to be okay and minimize on those, you know, kind of sillier mistakes he makes. Mm-hmm. And ones I think doomed the Knicks back when they played the Hawks in the first round in twenty twenty one. Yeah, but honestly, I think the Heat have it. So honestly, it's not that interesting to talk about, um, especially given the last series we want to get into in today's episode, which is. Your Celtics versus uh, Philadelphia 76ers. I know you have a lot to say about that. So honestly, I'm just going to start off by saying Harden and give you the mic. That's literally, that's literally the only thing determining this series right now. Like he had to score 45 in the first game, 42 in the second game for them to win by a combined five points. That's a crazy thing. The Celtics have won their games by a combined 46 the 76ers won theirs by a combined five you would think it's like a three to one or even finished off series that's not the case Harden has just made those timely baskets uh, in games one and four I mean game one made that crazy three-pointer over Al Horford with I think like five seconds left in the game you know but of course in the their two losses you know, he really struggled. I mean, it was five for 28 from the field and two for 13 from three-point line, you know, got some, you know, free throws, got, you know, made some nice passes, but a lot of silly mistakes on his part too. Not not amazing defense. Exactly. You know, games one and four were vintage playoff hard and two very different, I guess, lineup scenarios for the Sixers because game one, they didn't have their MVP or the league MVPs, you know, Joel Embiid. So they played a lot more fast-paced small ball, which I actually think was advantageous for them in a matchup against the Celtics. I feel like making those quick switches, you know, kind of having the ball go all around the world, it actually benefits the Sixers. You know, you distributed it more, Harden got better looks. You know, obviously Embiid's the MVP, but it almost seemed like they matched the... Sixers matched up slightly better against the Celtics, but he wasn't on the floor. Like they just play with more pace and obviously Embiid, you know, came back from injury. He still put up 34 points last night, even though he also turned down a lot of open shots. Definitely surprised. Usually he just finds his way to the bucket one way or another. You know, he's a really big guy, super athletic. So it's very impressive. Embiid's not been playing his best when it comes to the series. Like, you know, uh-huh. saw that viral clip of um, Tucker just kind of going crazy at him when he got that and one in game four. 
to pretty much give them that series tie. Because if it wasn't for that hustle play by P.J. Tucker, then Embiid was just pretty much watching on the sidelines. It kind of reminds me of um, your classic DeAndre Ayton clip that went viral of him just Mm -hmm. looking at Jokic, just tipping that uh, basketball back up like three times in a row while KD was trying his best to get the rebound. Kind of reminds me of how Embiid tackled that game four situation late game. He pretty much had Harden trying to go to him a lot when he just kept settling for jumper after jumper. I know Boston was crowding the paint a lot, but at the same time, like you're the league, you're the defending league MVP. You are the biggest guy on the court. Al Horford's like, what, 6'10"? You're a seven-footer that weighs way more than him. You're like at least seven years younger than Horford. So like, why aren't you attacking the rim? He pretty much made the winning play at the end, so I can't give him that much slack. But that's to say that hindsight's 2020 because if PJ Tucker didn't start yelling at his ear and made that and one bucket, then I don't think Harden would have had that opportunity where Brown went to double Embiid so that he could kick it out for him to pretty much ice the game. And Sixers played some very good defense at the end of that game before yesterday. Maybe one second earlier and the Celtics might have stolen that game. Marcus, Smart made a obviously late. You know, clear, clearly no basket. Uh, it was a three at the end. Might have made it 118 to 116, but obviously it didn't count. Time, what do you think of Missoula mm-hmm. not opting to take a timeout at the end and just letting his he team sh- play? He should have, man. I mean, I think so too. He had the timeouts and, you know, I, I understand trusting your guys and letting them kind of make the plays, but you, you don't always get like a Brooklyn game one situation from last year where it just all works. You know, you, you needed to to get a play together and figure out first of all who you want to take the last shot. You know, I I probably would have given it to Brown, but it depends on you know what looks the Sixers are giving. It, it's I, I don't know. I I just would have appreciated more adjustment from Azul at the end, and I I think he's pretty good. Like his offensive, it, it plays well to many of the strengths of that offense, and it's why they're you know continuing to humble along. You know, I think they have the best offensive rating of all playoff teams right now, but, you know, just inconsistent defense, especially games one and four. It's hurt them a lot. And I, I w- wish Missoula would tight, tighten up there. I, I would like to see more consistency because defense carried them to the finals last year. Yeah. You know, last year they had the top defensive rating. This year they had the second best. You still have, like, uh, your leader, Marcus Smart, your heart and soul leader, taking charges, your reigning Hustle of the Year award winner uh, Mm -hmm. in late-game situations against people like Joel Embiid and just putting his body out on the line. You know he's always going to do that, but I agree with you from a team point, defensive standpoint, that they're not in sync as they would like to be when it comes to late-game situations, whereas uh, Jalen Brown said in his post-game interview that if he were to have that opportunity back, he probably wouldn't have doubled Embiid and gave Harden, who had 39 points at the time, a wide open shot to pretty much ice the game. And I also want to touch on real quick before we end how Jalen Brown is having a lot of a better playoff performance so far compared to his um, here in uh, Jason Tatum. You got Jalen Brown averaging about 26 points. He's shooting 55% from the field and 47% from three which are insane numbers, especially when you compare them to Jason Tatum, 
who's averaging the same amount of points at 26, but shooting 46% from the field and 34% from three. So um, we had Kenny the Jet Smith on the post-game TNT show say that Jason Tatum is their go-to guy no matter what in terms of if you have him shooting 0 for 11 going into the fourth and he needs a game-winning shot, the team is going to defer to Jason Tatum to make that game-winning shot. Whereas I disagree with that statement because when you have two franchise players and you're blessed and lucky enough to have two of the same people that play at that such high level, I think that you should give the ball at the end in tight game situations, especially to get that go-ahead bucket to people and players at that time who are playing a lot better for that game. So they're in rhythm and they can kind of just go ahead and get that go-ahead bucket to end the game rather than sticking to your go-ahead person, especially when they're not having the best of games. Yeah, I tend to agree more with your position that it really should be situation dependent. I think when he's not putting up seven point games, I would lean slightly more towards Tatum. I think he's made a few more clutch buckets than Brown, generally speaking. However, yeah, right now, Brown, as was the case in, you know, the NBA finals last year, you know, he was the Celtics best player on the court, you know, when the Celtics offense really was not getting much of anything done early in that first quarter and fell behind quickly. Like Brown was the only one getting buckets. I think he had like the first, I want to say like nine points or something of the game or seven points. Like he was the only life in the Celtics offense. And that was of course one more Tatum had a zero point first half. So you really needed him there, but that's, that's what's so great about having an amazing duo like the Jays, like Brown and Tatum. You know, when one's not having their best game, you know, maybe Brown is turning it over a lot or just can't find his rhythm, which does happen sometimes. You know, not often. More more than that, you have the, you have the I'm him type of first quarters out of Brown. Yeah, and Tatum, it's the same thing. I mean, he's the guy that could maybe put up 46 points for you in an elimination game off just four free throws. But some sometimes he has, oh, I don't know, seven point games in a playoffs or, you know, in a playoff game, which. So, so again, it really depends on the situation for yesterday's game. I probably would have given that last shot to Brown. You know, I, I generally more lean more towards feeding the Jays in quarter four. You got to build up their confidence for, you know, finals run. You know, they have to not be afraid to take those you know, maybe hard to get shots. They'll be well contested. Like you, you just got to have them build up their confidence sooner. So I, I say dish to whoever's has the hotter hand. Yeah. That makes sense. That That's how it should be. But unfortunately you got really decorated NBA analysts saying otherwise. So just wanted to get your scoop on it. Yeah. It's an interesting conversation. Cause in general, I, like it, it's kind of interesting to compare like how the Jays are like, you know, from an analytical perspective, like what their shooting numbers are, as we discussed earlier in the podcast. But I generally try to just focus on like, I want both to do great. I hope you both do well. And if one is struggling, hopefully the other picks up the slack. You know, yeah. I, I never yeah. like it when, when it becomes like a Tatum versus Brown thing, because yeah. at the end of the day, they're on the same team. They share the same goal. You know, I, I've never bought into the Jalen Browns getting traded BS rumors either. I think they're for KD just that. though. For KD, might have been. 
Brad Stevens would never get rid of him. They they built up too much special. It is business. It is basketball, but and I'm sure. I also feel like with Ime Udoka being the coach, that played a role. The Rockets, too. the Rockets just hired Ime, and there's a conspiracy theory going around that Harden's gonna go back because they have two max slots, so they're gonna get one to Harden, and then they're gonna sign Jalen Brown for the other one because. If he doesn't get uh, an All NBA team nomination or placement, then he's not gonna stay with Boston because they did them so dirty throughout the trade rumors. He's been like a part of his whole career there, and then he even took it as far as to FaceTime Brad Stevens and Jason Tatum in one call, where they reassured him that everything's gonna be fine. He's not gonna get traded for him to see more trade rumors surface the following day. So. I think that that conspiracy has a lot of attention behind it and a lot of validity, especially because you have Houston's owner coming out on the record and saying that he wants to start winning again and making the playoffs. And what better way to do that than to reunite with your franchise player and add in another all-NBA caliber player? See, this one I, I definitely can't agree with you on. Here's the main problem. For, first of all, there's no way Brown Tatum will ever separate from each other. I think Brad will pay Jalen handsomely, obviously more so if he makes all NBA, you know, they can get the super max, but I I'm Brad is going to do everything they can to keep him. There's one other problem with the conspiracy theory, which is, uh, is rumored. You know, I can't confirm a hundred percent that the player who ratted out emails affair yeah. that led is, to yeah. his firing is Jalen Brown. And supposedly it ended on really nasty terms. So I kind of doubt, Brown would leave the Celtics to go play for a coach that he's not on good terms with. I think that's the main problem. I understand why at a surface level, it you know, it's an interesting thought. Yeah, you know, I, I could definitely see it for Harden, especially if the Sixers lose and it's like, okay, we just made another second round exit. Now what do we do? You know, I, I it's definitely possible that Harden goes back. You know, it could be a very interesting system for him, especially joining. You know, young guys like Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, who else they have on that team these days? I think oh, some no. Celtics scraps. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You just don't know. But it, yeah, it's an it's an interesting theory to talk about. I just I just don't see it. I think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, maybe not for their lives, but for the very long term, are, are Boston Celtics. Yeah, I'm pretty sure a Celtics fan would like to hear that too. So. I can see the validity where it comes from your perspective. It's a, it's always very interesting. I mean, when you do see trade rumors like that, like, especially as a Celtics fan, your heart starts racing. It's like, no, 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 no. Do not do that. Yeah, you guys are good. Why change it? Right. Like, like, like it's one of those things where everyone would love to have KD, but I can never give up Jalen Brown, man. He's too, uh, too great of a guy, an amazing really basketball like, player. He's like nine years younger. So and he's the second longest tenured Celtic, I believe, behind Marcus After Smart. Smart, yeah. You guys are really big and about I, homegrown talent. So it's definitely one thing that makes the Celtics so fun to watch as a fan, personally. Like they they tend to focus on that. Like, you know, when like Tatum was a rookie and when like Brown was a rookie. Yeah, those teams were especially fun. The Brad Stevens kind of young teams, plus, you know, 
mix of like Isaiah Thomas. He had a mix of, you know, had Tatum start breaking out as a rookie, had Al Horford during the first run as a Celtic. You know, Smart came into the fold. Those are very fun teams to watch. You know, it's fun to largely see again, as you said, like homegrown talent, you know, guys that you can root for your whole career. Like, obviously, like, you know, you as a Raptors fan, you know, even though you didn't retire, well, may not retire a Raptor, you know, Kyle Lowry, the Groat, yeah, he's always going to be most infamous for his run as a Raptor, you know, for that title. First time Canada ever defeated America in its own (laughs) sport. Yeah, there's rumors that basketball got founded at McGill, actually, so you never know. Another another conspiracy theory we should visit in a later episode.